Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Black Country Ramble. After a week without him, I am rejoined by my partner in crime, JB, and it is good to have you back. How are you, my man? I'm good, fella. I'm glad to be back. It's felt like a long, long week actually not doing the pod last week, but uh, no, I'm glad to be back, mate, and I'm all good. Yourself? Yeah, I'm flying, mate. I'm all good. I'm all good. Uh, good we're man. nearly at Easter. We needed that two weeks off for those of us who work term time. Um, Jack, we are joined this week by a guest of a Wolves Persuasion. Obviously, we had we uh, HRH a couple of weeks ago. We had Matt Wilson. Thank you to both of those guys for A, their time and B, their brilliant input. Jack, do you want to intro our Wolves themed guest for this week? Yeah, we, with pleasure. So um was really keen to get this guy on, actually. So give him a message last week. He's very kindly joined us tonight. So First of all, welcome Paul, Paul Berry. Um, Paul, I worked with Paul for a number of years uh, when I worked at Wolves. He's the ex-head of media at Wolves, uh, freelance journalist, very popular in the Twitter circles around Wolves fans, is well known. Uh, I'm really glad to have him on, so welcome Beza. Cheers guys, no, thanks very much for asking me, appreciate it. You're no, very, very all, welcome. All good mate, good to have you on. Yeah, fantastic. Good. We will get into all things Wolves a little bit later on, um, Beza, and we will pick your brains there aren't many with a better insight into the club um better knowledge of the club as well um but before we get into knowledge of wolves um we like to test our knowledge every week and this week jb it is your turn to propose um a trivia question to beza and i it is. jack take the floor okay so as yeah as we just touched on uh, sort of off air I've got a bit of a ribbing for my usual trivia questions of previous weeks. Kieran tends to put them on, on me and they just tend to be like one answer, whereas I tend to say, right, you've got to name five or six or whatever. So <laughs> for, this, for this week, it's just two. OK, so my question is... <laughs> and you still which, couldn't make it one. I couldn't, not yet. No, no, no. I've got to, I've got to, work, I've got to work my way down. Um, no so which are the only two Spanish managers to win the EFD Football League Cup? So, which are the only oh, two wow. Spanish managers to win the Football League Cup? You've got them both. You've got them both? Yeah. I thought you might. Too good. Too good. I don't know. You can stew on it, Bears. We can revisit yeah, it. Yeah, I, I mean, I think I've got them both. Last week, yeah. I gave my question and uh, George and Matt both said, yeah, I got that. And they hadn't. So, right, to, yeah. be fair, to be fair, I might be wrong, but I think I've got them. I think I've got them. And I, think I've got, I think I've got one. But yeah, yeah. Great question. I think, I think, I think, there's, I think there's one obvious. I think, yeah. I think the second one sort yeah. of takes a little bit of time to think. Oh, I like that. that. I like that. Brilliant. So before we do do a bit of a deep dive on wolves, wolves of the present, wolves of the past, Paul, your input as well, things that you've learned, things that you can share really with your very, very um, close experience with the club. It is only right that we first mentioned that we have a representative from both sides of the black country in the latest England squad. Obviously, Connor Cody has had a run of games now for England. He's been called up a few times. Um, It's nice to see that he has been persisted with um, because his his club form hasn't been as good as it was. But I think that shows that kind of identity that Southgate wants to have. They have to have versatility. And one of the, the formations that he wants to play is the back three. Is there anyone better in the Premier League at playing out from the back in that back three than Cody? I don't know. You know, he's got his faults, but he's very good at that. I don't know what you think. Um, well, either of you guys about Connor Cody still being picked despite maybe his form dipping slightly for the Wolves. I'll, I'll let Paul take the floor on that one and I'll, I'll jump in. 
Yeah, I think probably, as you've said, the back three, the fact that he's now played in the back four as well, which he hadn't done really until bizarrely, I think, until he joined up for England. But, um, yeah. but yeah, yeah, no, that versatility. And I think, as you say, for someone, you know, pinging the passes out from that sweeping position, I think he's got to be as good as anyone else that's up there. And then he's shown he can play in a back four. So I think, as you say, it is probably the versatility. And he is also... Um, such a great, such a great guy. I was with him for a few years when I was still at Wolves, and he literally is, you know, people people call him the nicest man in football, and I think he is. You know, he's such a good guy, but also very determined, very driven. Uh, I imagine he's an absolute diamond of a teammate for all of them. So I think, you know, he's not going to get picked just for that. But if you put in everything together and his versatility, with that as well, will he be first choice if you get to the Euros? Who knows? But for him, you know, I'm sure if he's in that squad, he'll be fighting as hard as he can to uh, to get a spot in that first team. Yeah, I, I echo those sentiments completely. And I think for me as well, obviously, just, just following on from that, I think the big thing is obviously when Connor got first called up, um, it was last year, wasn't it? I think pre, pre-Christmas pre or um, give or take. The first thing that sort of uh, Gav Southgate came out and spoke about was his leadership skills. Just literally how he he walked into that England squad and he'd like he'd like he'd, he'd, he'd always been there. And the fact that he displayed those leadership skills. I remember the game. And oh, I apologise, I'm struggling to remember who his actually's debut was against, but I forgot Switzerland in my head, but I'm, I might be wrong. But I'm not too even, sure, mate. No. Yeah, even the commentators during the game were saying all you could hear was Connor Cody screaming from the back, leading that line. Um, and I think the fact that it's, it's, it's predominantly a very young squad, um, to have someone like Connor Cody in and around the ranks will, will be invaluable for him. Like like Bez says, you know, is he going to be first choice? I, I don't think so. Um you know, I, I think, but you know, I, th- I think there's probably others ahead of him in the pecking order. But to have that, have that, have that sort of leadership uh, skills within the squads, and like I say, the versatility to be able to play in a back three and a back four is invaluable, really. Um, and like I say, depending on what system they play, in my opinion, he's up there with the best in terms of starting play from the back and those sort of sweeping, pinging passes. Yeah. So yeah, so I, I think it's a, a good, a good addition for England. Yeah, and I think it. it, it... It's all the things we've said about, you know, being able to play in this back three. And it's, I think he is nailed on to go to the Euros, really. I, I agree with both of you there that he, he probably won't be starting, won't be first choice. But if you're going to play a back three, you need at least five centre-backs who can play in a back three. And Connor Cody is one of those. The other black country representative <laughs> is a um, bit of a shock, probably, to those who don't pay close attention to um, West Bromwich Albion. However, there aren't many who are surprised... Um, having watched Sam Johnston play this season. But I have to, before we get into this, I have to give a shout out to JB, who in November, Mm -hmm. (laughs) months before anybody heralded Sam Johnston as an England um, name, JB texted me and asked, is he English? And I, the West Bromwich Albion half of this podcast, laughed. I I, I thought, oh, you're you're having a laugh, JB. And he said, no, honest to God, is, is he English? He should be in and around the squad. And it, I thought on it. I thought, no, no chance. And I thought again. I stuck a tenner on him to make the Euros. And then I thought some more. And I thought, you know what? JB might have a point. Fast forward eight months later, six, seven months later from... Uh, About about six months. JB, you nailed it. I I just remember watching that. Obviously, and Bez will sort of understand where I'm coming from this. And, and you on the other side of the coin, as, as Wolves fans and Abbey fans, we don't particularly make habits of watching each other's teams play. Um, this, 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 this podcast has obviously changed that completely. Um, 
and it has been great actually because obviously with the lockdown and the, 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 sort of the way of the world the last 12 months to be able to have that sort of excuse if you like to watch as much football as I need to has been brilliant and having watched Sam Johnson that was early in that early part of the, the, the season he was outstanding I think it was after the Man United game I text you if I remember rightly um, with was, the penalty yeah, save, he had a stunning game. Uh, he had an unbelievable, and he had really good games prior to that. And like I said, I genuinely wasn't sure if he was Irish or or Welsh, and then I wasn't sure. It wasn't sort of a prod or anything. I genuinely was like, he's English. And for me, I called it back in in October, November, and I said, you know, for me, there's not that many better goalkeepers than him. You know, when you look at the, the kind of goalkeepers that get picked to go in the England squad, he's absolutely up there in my opinion. And he's well based on what I've seen this season. Um, and it's, it's fully deserved. It's, it's fully deserved. He's, he's been excellent. And as I say, like I said, I've watched a lot of Albion this year. Um, a hell of a lot of Albion. And I've barely seen him put a foot wrong. I, I can't actually remember a mistake that he's made. Um, I mean, other not than many. the Spurs, not uh, off one with Harry Kane scored in the last minute. And all yeah, that yeah, yeah. coming for a cross. I can't fault him. He's, he's been yeah. phenomenal. Fully deserved. Interesting question for you both here, though, because obviously he's got in because of an injury. Jordan Pickford's injured. And I think... I don't think there's any England fan who is all that disappointed that Jordan Pickford's not going to be in this squad. <laughs> it gives Southgate time to see his other goalkeepers, obviously bringing Johnston as that um, reserve goalkeeper, really. Um, I don't see him playing. I don't see Sam Johnston getting a minute. I don't know about you guys. Um, there's not a friendly, obviously, in a friendly, he might have got 45 minutes, but I don't know what you guys think on that, um, obviously, with Henderson and... Uh, Nick Pope, who need more minutes, really, for England. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think... For, sorry, sorry, Paul. Now, go on, mate. Go on, carry on. I was going to say, yeah, for me, it's, it's a shame, really, because it, in, as an international break, it would be it would have been ideal to have that sort of little run of friendlies. It'd be an international break where it's actually friendlies, because, like I say, he probably would have got at least 45 minutes, but it's unlikely he's probably going to get any minutes, which is a shame, really, because I think it's warranted. But for me, I think, I think Henderson and Pope are obviously are going to be sort of ahead of um, Johnston in the pecking order in, the, in that. I'll be honest, I'm not sure who we will go for out of Henderson and Pope. Um, both, both good keepers, to be honest with you. But um, I, I just, it's a shame, like I said, I think I think for me, it would, have, it would have been nice to give him that chance to sort of express himself in the England shirt. But as I say, with it being qualified and so forth, I'm not quite sure if, if he'll get those minutes. Yeah, I probably agree with that. Um, and I think... And like you say, I've probably not watched a great deal of Albion, but the bits I've seen and highlights, he's he's one of those goalkeepers that when he has one of his better days, he literally saves everything, doesn't he? I think he's got you some results, which no one would have exactly expected. That yeah. Ball, yeah, and then, you know, in his shot stopping. And I think in the championship, we probably saw a bit more of Albion. He seemed to make the odd mistake, but having gone up, it's almost like he's he's more suited to the Premier League. And yeah, um, and without yeah. Without being disparaging, he's probably getting a lot more practice. I mean, I remember the days of Wolves in the Premier League when I was there and literally you'd backs against the wall and yeah. uh, and you had to have goalkeepers. Wayne Hennessy used to do it quite a bit. So I do think yeah. Um, yeah. he's shown what he can do this year. And I think if he doesn't play, which, as you say, probably won't, he's still got that chance in training to impress. I mean, again, we talk about Cody. That's probably... He'll have impressed Southgate massively in the training sessions, I'm sure, just getting a closer look at him. Uh, Johnson's got the chance to do that. If you stop pulling off saves left, right and centre in training... Um, I think, again, the three goalkeepers for the Euros are probably set in stone at the moment. But if yeah, any of them has a problem, gets a knock, you know, if he's next in line, he's just got to sort of take this this training, uh, this week or 10 days of training. If he doesn't play, there's a chance to really show what he can do and to be that next next cab off the rank if someone is out. Absolutely. And I think it's it's 
it'll be massive encouragement for Sam Johnston that it's not an Aaron Ramsdale or an Alex McCarthy who's been brought in. It is Sam Johnston. And that shows he really is next in line there, um, which, you know, will make a difference probably to his performances, make a difference to how much he, he you know, he, he can try and show in the training sessions. But like you say, you know, another one could have, another one could get a knock before the summer and he could find himself in there. Um, and if he has a training session, like he plays sometimes, as you say, Paul, when he's on it, he's just yeah. one of those goalkeepers who you can't get past him. Um, then who knows? He might dislodge somebody. Temperament looks good as well, doesn't it? Obviously, I don't know the guy, but you just watch him. He never seems to get ruffled. And again, there's been a bit of criticism about Jordan Pickford because he tends to lose, you know, have mad moments in games, doesn't he? Although Southgate really seems to be pinning his hopes on him as a number one. But you look at a Johnston, and he just always looks calm, um, which is a good, a good sign for a goalkeeper, especially if yeah. he's sort of flying around everywhere. So you'd like to think he'll have a chance to impress. Absolutely. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. No, is it- so, um, I mean, as far as Albion news goes, and I hope Albion fans aren't going to turn the podcast off here because I am still here as our Albion representative. As far <laughs> as Albion news goes, there's not much, but we did a really, really deep dive on the season, the state of play compared to past seasons with Matt Wilson. And if you haven't heard that, um, please go back and listen to that. That was really, really insightful stuff there from um, Matt Wilson, who was an excellent journalist when he was at Express and Star. It was really, really good to hear his input on the current side. Um from here on in, it's going to be pretty much wolves, wolves, and wolves. Sorry, I, I think I've got to go, guys. I'll um, I'll leave. Uh, no, it's going to be very, very wolf centric from from here on in. But be, before we sort of do a, a you know a trip down memory lane, Paul, as it were, with with, with your time at Wolves and and so on, I just want to get your take on the current Wolves season. So, um, the last game was a little while ago. Now it was the loss against Liverpool. It feels like that you know there's a lot of time has passed from then. So rather than get your thoughts on that game in particular, what do you make a Wolves season overall? Lots been made. Is it a transition? Um, does Nuno deserve the transition? Nuno in or Nuno out? Where do Wolves go from here? Was it a good window? There are so many questions flying around, Paul, and you will be able to answer a lot of those better than most. Try and sum up this season, Paul. Where, how do you see it as a fan and as, you know, as somebody covering it? Where, where do you sort of weigh in on this season from a Wolves perspective? I think, yeah, I mean, I think the, the word you've used there, transition, which I think it's turning into. Um, I'm not really sure. I don't think any team really wants to go into a season and think it's going to be a transitional season, but that's probably the way it's turned out. And I think a lot of it um, is losing Jimenez, which I'm sure you've spoken about before. I think he was almost, if you spoke to Wolves fans over the last probably two years, almost for me, certainly, he was the one player you couldn't really afford to lose because they never really yeah. had cover that could drop in and do what he did. I mean, there's obviously Neves, there's Matinho, there's really influential players, but you always felt that you could perhaps cope without one of them. But with Jimenez, um, you know, I think he's just been such a massive loss and was so integral to how Wolves played. So that was obviously a huge blow. Uh, and Silva that was brought in last summer, obviously one for the future, as they all say. So I think... You know, he's not quite ready, is he? He's picking up his minutes and hopefully will improve as, as, as a result of that. But I think, I don't know, I think the summer window was kind of a bit different. Um, you know, they have bought a lot of players for the future. Um, you know, Samedo's kind of starting to come into his own a bit more, hasn't he? I think over the last sort of month. Or so. Yeah, I think he's been excellent um, the last, last, last yeah, few weeks. He's got better. Obviously, he's trying to this new style of play a little bit with sort of letting Jota and Doty go and bringing in players to try to stop Stop relying on the breakaway so much. And I think that's probably not gelled as, as much as he would have hoped. But I think, um, from, you know, from what I understand, I think within Molyneux, they're sort of 
not overly happy about the season, but they're relaxed about the season without fans being in. Um, you know, I think the cup was obviously a huge disappointment. The FA Cup, I think that was a chance to perhaps go forward. But yeah, definitely. in terms of league, yeah, in terms of league position, I think I just want a strong finish. But almost you perhaps expect them to be to be busy in the window again now. Whether it's whether they have to make a sale to then bring in two or three more. Um, and obviously, on the positive, I think Neto's obviously been a huge positive, the way he's played. Uh, it is some of the younger lads will have had more experience and, and almost be looking now, I think, towards next season. Trying to finish this one strongly and then go on to next season. But the other thing I kind of think as well, I think it's applies to Albion a bit, I think fans missing. I know every club will say the same, but um, I kind of look at Wolves and Albion, a bit of sort of underdogs in their, in their areas of the table. I mean, Wolves were seventh twice, yeah. looking to crack the top six. That was going to be a big ask. Alvin coming in, trying to almost survive, I guess, to a certain degree. And I always think both sets of fans, as much as we'll joke about each other, they're pretty, I think they make a big difference when they're on song. You know, Molyneux and the Hawthorns can be really um, supportive, encouraging places. And I think both of every team will say they've missed fans, but I think both of us have, have in a way, missed the chance to make that next step where I think our fans home in a way would have made another difference. So, yeah. I'm rambling on, but I think it's. Yeah. I think you'd probably say a little bit disappointing, but understandable. Um, and I think now they're just trying to finish it strongly and almost starting to really think about what to do with the squad in the summer. Yeah, uh, firstly, Paul, rambling is welcomed uh, on this pod. Befitting <laughs> <laughs> with the name, I, I, I do it, it a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. I agree. Certainly, from um, from the perspective of your um, Albion's and your Wolves. Um, we, we've struggled without the fans. Would we have stayed up? Who knows? Would we have had as many, you know, would we have let as many wins get away from us? Would we have put in as many dud performances as we have? No chance. You know, it would have been different. And Wolves have let a lot of points get away from them as well, really. Very slow starts. I know they started slow with, with the fans as well, but the, the fans lift the energy. And I, I agree totally, Paul. I think that that really, really does make a difference. JB, um, what do you make to what Paul makes of the season, basically? He summarised it perfectly um, for me. Like I said, we've kind of like touched on it each week as we've gone along through the pods. And for me, as I say, I've always said it, you know, I think not having the fans has made a huge difference. I think it's affected certain teams more than this. I think some teams have thrived without the fans. And I think some teams have really struggled. And Wolves and Albion are two of the teams that will have struggled. Um, for me, it has been a disappointing season. I think when you look at the quality of the squads, and what, what we've had to do, I think I think we should I think we should be high up in the league. Jimenez, look as as Paul again. I'm I'm sort of just repeating what Paul said. Really, you know, Jimenez is the one player you didn't want to lose because almost like we've we've had covering of the players. You know, when we've lost Bolly, even though Bolly's integral part of our centre of, of of our sort of back three, you've got players like Dendonk who can come in. You know, Saïs has almost been converted from that centre midfielder into, into a left sided centre half. Um, you, you know what I mean you, Max Kilman you've got plenty of cover there likewise if you lost Nevers or Moutinho you've got players who will then slot in and do that whereas Jimenez it, it, it's all or nothing with him and it, and sort of, I suppose our lack of depth in that department was unfortunately exposed with the injury um, but like I said I think for, for, for Wolves now it's just about you know I think there's nine games left finish as strongly as we can um, the remaining of our games actually are sort of teams sort of around us and below us. So we've got to be looking at those games, apart from things, the West Ham game, um, which is the first game back after the international break, I think it is. You know, most of the games there we should be looking at and looking to get points. So it's just, just really for me to try and finish strongly, try and implement something that we're going to be looking at maybe next season. And as Beza says, you know, we've really sort of got to look at, look at the uh, summer transfer window. And 
almost wrong, sort of, you know, try and right some wrongs in the last window, really, because I, I don't think the window went to plan as, as, as how they probably wanted in terms of probably the players they brought in have probably had to play more minutes than what they wanted. Um, so I think, yeah, I think, the, the, I think they may maybe need to look at the kind of the, the kind of players they're targeting, but you know. You know, I think I think that'll come in the summer. So yeah, I think I think really, as I say, it's been a mixed season, really bizarre season. Um, just just generally a, a really weird weird season. Obviously, you know, we we're watching a lot of football at home at the moment, aren't we? And it's got that sort of surreal feeling without the fans. And yeah, it's just been a really really weird season for me personally. Yeah, I mean, you, you you've touched on the recruitment. You you both did there, and um, from the outside looking in, it. There's a massive caveat to Wolves recruitment. Yeah, it's not gone to plan. I don't think anyone's going to claim it did. Um, but you've got a manager who thrives on continuity. Week in, week out, he likes to pick the same 11. He's got many of the same players that he came up from the championship with. This is a manager who needs that core. Um, your Jimenez kind of players, Jota, Bolly, Doherty. Well, you've sold two of them. You've lost one to injury. And Bolly's, you know, he's played a lot less football than he would have wanted to. Um, you could have bedded in Fabio Silva if Jimenez, you know, was there. You've got your Marsals um, competing with um, Ait Nouri for a position that neither of them is really going to have long term because you've got a left back already. It it was just it, looking back, and this is hindsight's twenty twenty. Yeah, it yeah. was a bit of a disastrous window. However, I don't know if anybody in particular is to blame if, if you see what I'm getting at no you're right and I think injuries you know they've got um, they've got an incredible backroom team there and they've also invested a lot of money in the facilities and, and the, you know the backroom staff and the gym equipment and everything like that and that has paid off hugely throughout Nuno's time it's almost like it's just caught up with us this season I think there's less of um, less of a break obviously and Wolves had a very long season longer than most last year. And it almost feels like you say, as you say, that's caught up with them a little bit. They've had a bit of bad luck with the key injuries, as you said, you know, Johnny as well. I mean, I didn't mention him. Yeah. He's another huge one for the consistency he got. You then, as you say, you bring in other players that maybe don't quite hit the ground running. And and like you say, Nuno, he's so focused on that consistency. It's been the key to a lot of the success. And he's, you know, changed between five at the back to four, back to five. And it's almost like that's very unlike him. Um, and again, I think it just smacks of a really strange season, just trying to find some sort of rhythm, um, trying to find something to kind of see the season through. Uh, but yeah, and I think, and again, fans, I think Nuno's missed the fans. I think he's that character that thrives off it now. You know, he's got, he's built up that relationship over a few years and maybe he's lost his, you know, lost his mojo a little bit in terms of how this season's been. And, you know, a lot of his family at home, aren't they, in Portugal? Um, so, again, I think he'll be one that, come August, if hopefully, touch wood, the fans are all back in again, or most of the fans, it'll certainly get him going again as well, I think. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Agree with yeah, that. I, I think so, too. So, looking ahead to sort of the recruitment in the summer then, um, where do you think Wolves need to strengthen? Because their, their lack of strength in depth has been... Um, has been exposed really at times. Uh, JB, I'll, I'll go to you first. Where would you prioritise really if you were spending the war chest? Um, I think for me, I would really like to see us go go all out on a, on a top quality centre half. Um, I think that I think that is probably the one area where we haven't significantly significantly invested since we've come up. Um, obviously, we we signed Bolly. 
Um, but obviously we had him in the championship on loan sort of thing. But yeah. in essence, we're still sort of playing a lot of the time the same back three that what we came up with, which they've done great. And they've obviously adapted to the Premier League fantastically well. But for me, for us to go to the next level, I feel like a top quality centre-half would be would be the sort of the, the, next, the next logical next step. Um, like I think we need to invest all over the park here. If I'm honest with you, I, th- I think I think it's exposed our lack of striking options. You know, obviously William Jose has come in. It's difficult to judge, judge a player early doors. You know, he's coming midway through a season, different country, sort of thrown into sort of the limelight as such to try and fill him in as his uh, boots, and it hasn't really sort of gone to plan as yet. As I say, Fabio Silva is definitely one for the future. Not quite sure how soon he's going to be ready, but for me, I, I think I think a good quality backup for Jimenez is imperative. Um, and likewise, I think the one pl- style, I don't know if Bez agrees with me, but I think the one star player that watching Wolves, particularly at times last season, when we struggled to break down the teams that came to set us, to set up to particularly stifle us and frustrate us. I, felt, I always felt we've always lacked that kind of ball carrying midfielder who can drive us forward. Obviously, we, me and Kieran have touched it at times on, on Pedence, who I think he's a wonderful player. Who, who, again, I think he's a big miss as well because he's a wonderful player. And he has got that ability to pick up the ball deep and, and then sort of drive it forward. But for me, I would like to see us go go and get like a, 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 you know, a ball carrying midfield that can drive us forward through the thirds. Um, yeah, and then also as well, and this isn't, I feel like I'm just basically we need to improve the whole side. But um, I, 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 look, I look at John Woody do, as do well. You want to swap? I'll, I'll take Wolves yeah, 11. I, 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 I know. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's it. I look at John Woody, and obviously, you know, been a great mm. understudy. Obviously, he was fantastic in the championship. Obviously, he's been cut along to a short. He sat on the bench for three seasons with sporadic cup appearances, and he will want to play minutes so I can't see him staying much longer while we've got Rui whether that whether that would then open up a, a chance for say um, Sondergaard to then sort of come up because I know he's highly thought of within the Wolves setup, or whether we would then go out and get um, you know a, a sort of an experienced goalkeeper who would be willing to sort of take that John Woody, Woody role I'm not quite sure but I think that, that I think that will be a position that we looked at in the summer because I can't see John Woody happy to sit on the bench because you know ultimately he's still got a good few years ahead of him. His career, he's a good keeper. You know, he's a good solid championship keeper. Um, you know, but like I said, for me, good centre half, decent striker back up, and, and a ball came midfielder would would be the, the main three for me. Yeah, I mean, I think I'd probably have to agree with literally all of that. I think probably a lot of fans can are probably of the same mindset, aren't they? Really, and I think you know we're heavily linked with is it Ruben Diaz. Maybe yes. two years ago now. What a signing that would have been. I know. Well, that's obviously <laughs> really strongly linked. And they, I don't know. I mean, imagine they're asking for, as was proved when, when Man City got him in the end, asking for a, a big old fee there. But I think that proves that, you know, they still feel they need that that player. Even though we have got some very good centre-halves at the minute, I think just adding that quality and, and competition would be good. And they agree on the sort of the ball carrier, the number 10, if you like, isn't it? I think... Um, I was quite of all the signings. I was quite excited about Vitinha. I mean, I didn't know much about yes, him. Yes, me that too. Sort of player who was someone that could play in between, you know, pick a pass, get forward. Um, obviously, he's not had much time. Whether that's, uh, you know, whether he's not impressing in training or whatever, or whether Nuno's got a bigger plan for him. But obviously, he's only on loan, isn't he? So whether they take yeah, the option sure. on him will be interesting to see. And again, Jimenez hopefully will be back. Um, whether he can come back all guns blazing from the start, who knows? And I suppose the big question then is: Is Jose? as good a backup as you'll get in a sense that he'll have settled by then. Are you ever going to get a really good centre-forward if they just think that Jimenez is going to be number one choice and he's only going to play one of top 
Um, you know, those are all the questions, obviously, which I'm sure they're looking at. But um, Jose might well be as good a backup as you get that, that can come and play the odd game or come off the bench yeah. you know, after 70, 80 minutes. So I think, as you say, those, those, so it's the spine of the team, isn't it? I think really does need, um, you know, I'm sure they'll, they'll be looking to strengthen that and then looking, as you say, potentially for another goalkeeper if Ruddy does move on. I think they'll probably feel they want someone. Um, you, you know, if the window shuts and Patricia gets injured and you've got some of the guard as highly rated as he is, I think I want someone else in there. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, and the interesting bit, you know, does anyone leave? Um, mm. yeah, huge stories about Neto already. Um, yeah. Stories about Shore previously. Do I think, you know, foes aren't going to go mad with spending. They've obviously spent an absolute fortune since they came in, but I think they get into an area now where it's almost like we'll sell, like they did with Jotun and Doherty, we'll sell and then strengthen. You know, I don't think they're looking to take money out. I think they're looking to reinvest it. But will they feel that they need to sell someone to go again? So all these questions, I guess, will, will become clearer as time goes on. Sure. Yeah, really, really a good run down there of sort of um, kind of where, yeah, I, I would agree what that is kind of where Wolves need to strengthen our, and not all over, we, like we joke, but they almost need a little bit of a, they need to hit the refresh button kind of thing just keep things ticking like and I, I think we might see them sell obviously I'm not I'm not privy to any kind of you know recruitment meeting but it just wouldn't make sense to have to have sold Doherty and then have to have sold Jota to fund last summer where's the money this summer all of a sudden so that yeah, makes sure. me inclined to think that it, as as you alluded to there Paul that they, they might sell to buy really I think it's almost like you'd like to see perhaps two or three players that could strengthen the first 11 this time, maybe. Yeah. Especially if they do have to sell an established one or someone who's done really well, you know, two or three, rather than they've got young players now, um, depending on what they do with some of the loans, obviously. But yeah, let's try and get two or three that are going to really knock on the door of the first team. Um, I think Jack said earlier, a lot of, you know, it's not changed drastically over the last couple of years, really. Nuno's had his tried and trusted and maybe it's the time to try and just shake it up a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. More. Absolutely. JB, just before we do sort of a you know a, a deep dive on um on wolves and, and poor working at the wolves, covering the wolves, um, let's just revisit the trivia question. So yeah. um, okay. can you reiterate the question for Paul and I and to the listener? I will. So there are two as Spanish listener, managers. As in general listener. We, we do yes, have more than one listener. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so, so there are two Spanish managers that have won the uh, Football League trophy. Sorry, not Football League trophy. The, the League Cup, the Football League Cup. Yeah. Um, who are they? Very, very simple. So, Paul, yeah. are we pretty clear that the current champions are Man City and they have a Spanish manager? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Unless Catalonia's independence went through, you know, without my knowledge, I'm pretty certain of that one. We'll go back <laughs> yeah, on the yeah. And then, believe it or not, the one that came to me initially. Have you got any thoughts on the other one, Paul? Before I, um, I was suddenly thinking, and I can't remember the guy's name. Maybe Tottenham, but then I've also, yeah, yeah is that the one you're thinking? That of? Is, that you're right. Yeah, I think we're on the right lines. I've got visions of Jermaine Genas wearing the scarf. When yeah. on his head when they are lifting the trophy and the manager right. that day has to have been Juan de Ramos yeah. has to have been JB yeah. plus out of our misery is it Juan well de done Ramos? very good oh, wow. it is it is cool. it is it is. Oh, nice. well done well done 
I think a lot of people automatically. I think a lot. I think a lot of people automatically assume go to sort of Rafa Benitez. Mm. Um, oh and, my and god, think, that's amazing! And, and about but, it. Yeah, but yeah, but he he never won the the league cup. Okay. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, it's a good good call. Great that question that is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was working at Wolves actually when I went. We got tickets to some of our mutual partners when we were working there. Some of the benefits of being there. I went there. It was a great day out actually. Really Steve good. Thomas didn't know Steve Thomas then, did you? As a big Spurs. Uh, in, uh, yeah, I know, department. I went. I went. I went. We leggy actually. Funny enough. No, right. yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 No, it was good. Good day out. Good day out. So that kind of concludes part one of the podcast, um, as it were, a, a chat about sort of what's going on now um, and a lovely trivia question there, JB. Um, be really interesting now to sort of turn the discussion on to um, Wolves and sort of Wolves behind the scenes, if you like. Um, this week, as I'm sure a lot of people will have seen, um, Paul had a piece in the Express and Star on Mick McCarthy's um 1,000th game, a 1,000th senior game as a manager, which is a phenomenal achievement, by the way. Um, but there was a line in there that really cracked me up as, um, as, a, as a fan of football. And we all sort of, you know, we obsess about the allure of being on the inside. But there was a great line. Um, Paul, I mean, Paul, I'm sure, could tell it better than I. But uh, Mick sort of called Paul over to say um, when they were having a drink, oh, no, come on, come on, come over here and enjoy your drink. You're on the inside pissing out now. And Paul, it'd just be really interesting to get your insight. What is it like to be on the inside pissing out at a Premier League football club? Yeah, it's uh, it's a lot of things, really. I mean, it is, as you say, almost uh, a, a big privilege. I mean, that line came, I was covering the Wolves for the Birmingham Mail, bizarrely, and I then got a job at Wolves. And there's that kind of, it got on all right with Mick, to be fair. He was always great for all the press, but it was the first pre-season and you're kind of a little bit unsure about sort of what should do and, um, the staff, Mick and the staff would always have a couple of drinks at the end of the day on pre-season after a tough old day's work, as you do. And so I kind of just sat with, um, with my colleague, Foz, who obviously was already there, who JB will know. Uh, and I sort of said to Foz, what do I do? And he's like, well, let's just sit here and let's wait and see. And literally within 10 seconds, Mick was like, you know, what the hell are you doing, basically? Uh, get over here. As you say, you're, on the in- you're not on the outside pissing in anymore. You're on the inside pissing out. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was, you know, as a Wolves fan, um, you know, it just always felt like a privilege. Uh, it, was, it was really, at times, it was really hard work and there were obviously good times on the pitch and, and bad times, which kind of filtered through into into all departments, as I'm sure JB remembers, yeah. you know, the media department, the commercial department, everywhere, really, ticket office. You kind of, you were flying by how the club were doing, really. But it was, um, you know, you get to see bits and bobs as a fan, which is incredible. And I think for me... Um, that was, you know, Mick was the first manager I worked with on the inside and to sort of, I pretty much did all the games and to go with him and do his press conferences after games um, to see how he handled that side of it. I mean, obviously, by this time he'd done, he'd been in management a long time. He'd had the whole Roy Keane stuff with Ireland. So there was no, never anything you could say to Mick about how to handle the press. Um, a lot of the time it might just be me saying what I thought they might ask him or what fans are saying, that sort of thing, because he was always quite keen to, Keep it best of that, but yeah, so sort of following around all season, um, especially the first one we got promoted, and just see him, uh, you know, talking to the press, sparring with them as he called it, and and just getting to know how he operated was uh, was a huge privilege as it was throughout throughout his time. Yeah, yeah. It was great. It surprised me to hear he called it sparring with them. No, (laughs) (laughs) No, he loved it. He He might have said not, but he loved it. He was he was brilliant, wasn't he? Yeah. I mean, obviously, in, in my role in the club, obviously we didn't. 
obviously have as much to do with obviously Mick and the first team as, as you guys did. Obviously, it was, it was completely different roles. And I was in the commercial department, so on the more corporate side with all the club partners and things like that. Um, but what I found working with Mick as manager was that everything felt integrated. It was like everyone was the same in essence. Like he, he, there wasn't like an us and them. He was always, if he saw you in the corridor, he'd, he'd speak to you like you were a mate and things like that. And as you say, as a Wolves fan, having that job, I was I felt so privileged to have that job for things five years altogether, um, four or five years. But you quickly become adapted to it, don't you? Like you kind of you have that perfect. You sort of become a professional quite quickly because yeah. you have to really you can't sort of let sort of the emotion and sentiment sort of get in the way of it. Um, but no, it's it, it was brilliant. Sorry, Jack, I bet you. Yeah. These. I mean, the thing I didn't put in the piece actually. We used to have a staff party. I'm sure they still do. And like, yeah, Jack's smiling already. And like Mick and his staff, I mean, I think that's what some of Everybody was together. And it was it was a different club then in the sense that it was, there was a fewer staff. You know, we weren't in the Premier League going for top six as, as they are now. And I think the club's sort of grown, if you like. There was a smaller staff probably doing, you know, we we're under the cosh and stretched a lot. But it did sort of make that team spirit. And so, every you know, the staff party every year, um, everyone had to keep it quiet when it was because sometimes if the team had lost, you know, it was, the players didn't go, it was just Mick and the staff, but they used to get right into the spirit of it and they were oh. fancy dress and every year Mick would be there and you're kind of almost pinching yourself. Um, yeah. But literally he was just one of the, you know, when you were there, he wasn't the manager, was he? He was just one of the guys that was just there having a good time. And- it was brilliant. I mean, I think I actually sent, did I send you a picture, Kieran, not long ago? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I said, that I, picture will probably get us cancelled if it sees the light. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I sent it on private WhatsApp. There's a picture of, of, of me and the commercial lads and, and Mick of the fancy dress yeah. that we won the one year. I think it was oh, eight yeah. or nine. Yeah. yeah, I think you know which one I'm on about best. Yeah, maybe but, don't, uh, don't mention that one, mate. Yeah. No, yeah. No, no, moving no, on, no. moving on. It was brilliant. I mean, I remember not long after I first um, started working there and one of my clients who had a box in the Billy Wright they, they didn't come. They were based in Hong Kong. They, they very rarely came. So there was always that, that end box free towards the, the North Bank. And uh, occasionally you'd be like, oh, if you, if you want to, your friends or family to come or whatever, you know, use it, it's fine. And I, I remember my me, me, me brother came and my mum and dad and stuff and they used the box. He was a fairly quiet game. And my brother had just had an operation on his knee. Um, so George was on crutches. And he was, so George was coming up the stairs from reception. As you're going up the stairs from reception, and you go into the, sort of the main, I can't remember what it was. Is it the Jack Hay? I can't remember the main suite called now. I've, I've gone Street, blank. Think, yeah. The Highwood yeah. Suite, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And Mick crossed him on the stairs um, and caught the George's on crutches. And he was, I can't do the Yorkshire accent. And he was like, <laughs> he was like, oh, he said, oh, you know, what have you done? And George was like, oh, and George was just like my brother. He was like, draw on the floor completely. <laughs> yeah. and, Mick, and Mick sort of sat down with him and spoke to him. And, 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 and it's because I think Mick had had a knee injury in his career. Well, he knew something about it. And it, that was just typified. He didn't know he was my brother or anything. Like, well, he could see he was with me. I was taking him out because he's on crutches and stuff. But that just typified Mick to me that he took the time to he saw George on crutches. And that, like, George still talks about that to this day, sort of thing. It was, it was just a, a great, great blow. Like, it was a pleasure being at the club at the same time as him. I think that's it, isn't it? And he's kind of, I mean, I remember one, um, I can't remember how long I've been there, but he's, he's sort of, he demanded a lot out of people in there, and I think Carl Henry yeah. did it in the piece. He demanded huge standards and, and effort, but if you gave him that, he was fine. I remember there was a senior player who'd not been at the club long, and he came and sat in reception at the training ground, which is where we used to sort of do our work at the time. And he sat down, he took a huge deep breath, and he says, Crikey, he said, he's the most intimidating man I've ever met. 
and in, in a way he was because of when he had his work mode on that was him but it was always you could always talk to him and as soon as like you know as soon as you crack that if you like he if you work for Mick McCarthy he, he would forgive you anything as long as you were putting the effort in and I think um, you know say he was a normal bloke when he was in work mode he was demanding of people he was demanding of himself and it was just all about everybody doing as much as they could and, and hard work but then you know you could always go and see him about anything really literally yeah for, for a guy under that much pressure you know that was quite an achievement really no, it was. I mean, I mean, obviously, we'll, we'll, we'll sort of talk a little bit more about sort of your time at Wolves and things like that. But the one thing while we're just on the Mick McCarthy chat is, and I think I put something on Facebook not long ago, actually, um, and you'll remember this well, and this sort of summed Mick up for me when I talk about the fact that he was just a normal guy and, and as soon as you worked at the club and you were part of that of that team, he just treated like one of his own. And, and I remember it was our first season, the Prem, and we were having that real tough run in the build-up to... So I'm talking, oh, 2009 here. I think, yeah. we went win, I think we went winless in the build-up to Christmas or in, in that sort of November, December period. Really, really struggling. Um, and we sort of... Slipped, we were right in the mire, if I remember rightly. And he got all the players into pairs and sent them into different departments uh, around the club, yeah. mm. um, basically to go and see what us staff did how important it was to us that the club stayed in the Premier League um, and I think it was almost like to get a, sort of ground them a little bit and go do you know what the reason why you're very fortunate to have this fantastic well-paid job is because of the people on the ground on the, on the factory floor if you like um, and I think George Elakobi and oh god who was the other one who came was Elikobe, we had Elakobi and somebody else I can't remember who it was came to our department I've got a photo um, I can't, it might have been Matt Jarvis I, I can't remember and they were brilliant like, and they, I think they all went around the club didn't they yeah. um, I think it was, it was just one after you remember it yeah I do no you're spot on I mean I think I mean again that was just something he did I mean I don't think we knew about it as a press officer no. he started doing it and I think you know you're spot on and I think it sums it up and um, you know the day he left you know he got, he got sacked obviously and Kieran might wake up again now because it was obviously after the 5-1 against uh, <laughs> Against the five-one, yeah, yeah. So I might as well get get the defence in first, but you know, and again, that was we were at the training ground, and that was a really strange day. It was the first time I'd been on that side and seen a manager lose his job. Um, and again, I remember Mick coming in. He sat in reception and I put him the piece, and he kind of, you know, he'd just been told he'd lost his job. I mean, I'm sure it wasn't a huge surprise, but he kind of said to us, and again, it was me and Father Sam. He was almost like the night of the Albion game, which obviously was a crushing disappointment. He kind of wondered, oh, is that it? You know, is my time here off? And he said he woke up the next morning and was like ready to go again. Right, let's get this sorted out. Let's improve. Because that was Mick McCarthy. Um, and obviously that decision was taken out of his hands. But again, the players, I mean, there's a lot of emotion that day, which you don't really expect. You know, players going up to see him. Um, a few tears, I think, from some of the players who've admitted it mm. quite openly since. And and again, that was what he built. And then not only that, I mean, he, he hung about packing his gear, but then he drove to the stadium at Molyneux to then go around departments again to say goodbye and thank them. And I think, again, you don't get that from many managers, especially you just received that news after six six years or so, almost six years. And yeah, he was desperately disappointed to lose his job, um, having gone in on that Monday thinking, right, how are we going to put this right? But still, you know, still making sure he thanked everybody, thanking his players. And, and again, I think it just summed up the sort of bloke he was. And why, I think, you know, time is dragging on. It's a long time ago now, but I think, Still very fondly remembered by all those players and all those staff, you know, that worked for him at that time. And I think it should, um, it should be, should be that way as well. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, Wolves are very fortunate to have a manager now who is a great fit for the club, um, really, you know, works in almost every way you can imagine. And I think Mick McCarthy was that as well, certainly looking back. And I think he's popular with the with the fans, as you said, the staff, the players who played for him, um, because, you know, he really was Mr Wolves for, for a very important period in Wolves' recent history. Um, you know... Well, even when... Even, even well, when he- yeah, even when he came in, Kieran, you know, he came in in that, and again, Bez will be more testament to this because he was obviously, I know we work at the club in 06 when he came in. No, or we used so, to, yeah, I was working the newspaper then, so I was following Wolves, but not on the Yeah, side, so yeah. obviously you, you, you'd have been sort of closer than me, yeah. but I remember as a fan, we had that really sort of sticky period where obviously we had Glenn Hoddle, we'd, we'd got relegated mm-hmm. from the Premier a couple of years before. Yeah. We, I mean, I remember, I still remember that. Um, I remember going and watching Wolves in pre-season at Hensford Town. Yeah. Um, that yeah. pre-season and we had that Brazilian lad on trial who scored that beautiful free kick was it, did That's you right. do an article on it did you do an article on it yeah I spoke to him a couple yeah, of weeks ago yeah, yeah. I was going to say did an article on it yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I mean that squad was threadbare wasn't he hmm. you know hmm. it was threadbare and, and obviously Mick came in and, and he came in a really important time and the club needed stability he almost did in a way and correct me if, if you think I'm wrong but he almost did in a way almost what sort of Kenny Jackett did a little bit. Yeah. When when Kenny came in um, after, well, it was, I mean, I'd left the club at this time, to be honest. I, I'd obviously left also. I, I was kind of, going to say, fortunate not to experience it from a professional perspective. But how I saw as a fan looking in at that point, because obviously I'd left, seeing how Kenny Jackett came in for that couple of years. It was turmoil, really, wasn't it? Best, I suppose, mm-hmm. in, 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 in a way. Um, it was, no. I mean, yeah. You know, and obviously Mick, Mick came in after the sort of the, you know, we got relegated to Dave Jones and Dave went and Glenn Hoddle came in and, and obviously people still talk about that Glenn Hoddle era as Wolves fans. Um, and he came in instead of this, and he did, a, he did an amazing job. I mean, now he got to the playoffs that 06, 07 season is a miracle. Me and Kieran on the pods. We've Who did spoken. you run into in that campaign? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, um, yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, yeah, give me a chance and I'm going to take it. I'll <laughs> take chances like Kevin it, Phillips it, used to yeah. take him against oh, the Wolves, mate. Oh, Never miss that one. Well, to be honest, we, I mean, in one of our, in our pod, the, the, the pre-Black Country Derby pod that we did where uh, Kieran's brother was on and, and my cousin was on, so we sort of a two-on-two <laughs> pod. And, and yeah. to be fair, as Wolves fans, we spoke in depth about that sort of mini era where the Albion side <laughs> terrified us um, you know, sort of um, Jonathan Green in and um, Diamante Kamara and Kevin Phillips Karen and Gira. You know, Karen uh, Gira and who was yeah. the other lad, the, the, the Scouts lad, the brilliant player, um, Kumas, Kumas, Kumas. yeah, yeah just, 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 just really, really good, but yeah, so we digress. But in terms of what Mick did for the club, was, was I think he will go down as, as like a legendary wars manager in terms of how well thought of he was by. By um, by staff, by fans, by players, and I don't know what your thoughts are, Bez, on obviously the fact that he's kind of his career since leaving Wolves. But I couldn't be happier the fact that he's doing a sterling job at Cardiff, mm-hmm. um, and they've got a real chance. They've mm-hmm. got a real chance if they if they keep on going the way they are. Absolutely agree, and I think yeah, I think that you know, taking a bit more notice of Cardiff's results really since they went yeah. since they went there. I think, and again, that it feels like that's a really good fit for him because he can't. I mean. If you think back to when he went there, I mean, I don't think the fans wanted him, did they? Um, you know, there's a lot on social media. Cardiff fans really disappointed with the appointment, but I think what he's done again and with TC, Terry Connor alongside him, he's just shown that you don't lose it really, do you? I think a lot of, so much about football, we all, there's tactics and obviously there's managers that are really cute with their tactics and 
um, you know, formations and all that stuff. But I think man management is, is huge in the, in the game. And, and they, you know, that is mixed huge strength amongst everything else. And so I think all you need, if you've got a decent squad at Cardiff, you'll start getting them playing and he's found a way to win matches as they did at the weekend. So um, they're still a little bit off the playoffs, but you wouldn't, you wouldn't rule them out for sure. And if they get in there, um, you know, they've got as much chance as anyone, obviously. And it is that sort of thing, isn't it, where a team sort of comes up from the back mm-hmm. Yeah. tend to have that sort of momentum with them. They almost go into the playoffs. Favorite. If they can nick in at the very end, they, they go in. I'd love it for Mick. I look, like, so I've got great memories of working at Wolves and him being like an integral part of it, really. Um, and so t- talking to that, Bears, obviously when, when we was at Wolves together, I know you were there a bit longer than me. Over the course of the years, there was obviously many ups and downs, highs and lows and things like that. For you... In your sort of in, in your department and 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 the sort of the, the the role that you held within the club, what would you say was probably your the the, the highlight or the, the standout moments that you that you, that you um, take away and you you think back fondly on? Yeah, I think probably as we've said, it's the it's probably the two promotion seasons um, for the reasons that you've said in terms of Mick. You know, that's my first year there, and obviously the journey he tanked all on over the three years from. So the parents have been very stale, as you say, and then a very similar, like I agree with you, that Kenny Jacket, um, you know, it was League One, obviously, but bringing players in that were hungry, you know, another mix of sort of youth and experience. And I think it's, um, you know, I was there for the first half of Nuno's season. You could see that something special was, was happening there, but by then I'd kind of decided to take on the new challenge. So that was, I didn't see that one through, if you like. But those two seasons, I think it's, it's the kind of moments on the inside that, Kieran mentioned earlier so I remember the QPR game um, we got promoted remember the pitch invasion and it's just a little thing yeah. getting in, you know you go in the lift with Mick up to the top floor to the press conference and I don't know if you remember the lift Jack, yeah, 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 yeah. slowest lift yeah. in the history of lift so after, <laughs> yeah. you've, after you've lost the game with Mick it's like you can't go any blooming slower than that but, but to be able to <laughs> like, you know that, that couple of minutes and just thanking him for the season and his help and that was brilliant and then I remember crew when we went up with Kenny um and again, it was another huge pitch invasion. And I sort of legged it to the dressing room because when you get promoted, you have to get some of the commercial sort of uh, obligations. There's Sky Bet at the time with the sponsors with flags and pictures. So I had to make sure I was in the dressing room. And literally, I was in the dressing room. You're hearing all this noise. And Kenny Jacket just walks in. And I mean, he could have been walking into the supermarket. He just sat down. And it's like that moment of saying, oh, well done. And he was like, you know, he's obviously chuffed. But it's those little moments that you really enjoy. So I think those two seasons and then obviously games where, um, you know, beating the big boys as we did time now and again. And even I think it's my last full season winning at Liverpool with the Paul Lambert. I mean, that was a great day in the cup. Um, so many Wolf fans are there. So I think, yeah, there's, there's highlights, as you're saying, I think it was a real roller coaster ride. So you almost feel the highlights more because of the things that had happened before. And again, the Kenny season, you know, the turmoil in a couple of really difficult years, um, I mean, Christ, football club is a difficult year. It's not like you're saving lives or anything. But in, in your job day to day, it did get quite tough with the media attention. So to come through I can it, imagine. I mean, I mean, like ended. I said, I mean, I was out. I was away from the club at, at that time. I, I'd, yeah. I'd left. But again, sort of as a fan looking back in from that perspective, I remember. I mean, I remember going, and I don't really want to talk about it too much, but <laughs> the Wolves are being the 5-1. Yeah. And obviously I was there as a fan that day. I, I'd left at that point And... I remember it being a, fairly obviously a really toxic atmosphere. I remember it being really grey and drizzly. And there was that. And I remember I had my little girl with me and I'm leaving early because I thought, mm. I thought this is going to turn. And it had that feeling. And it almost that sort of feeling of toxicity, if you like, sort of ca- carried on 
looking in when you had the, the Solback and Dean Saunders, the relegation, the Jamie O'Hara's, the Roger Johnson's, the Brighton away on the last day, all that sort of stuff that sort of encapsulated Walton in those two years. I imagine working within that would have been really, really difficult. It was. No, it was. And, you know, as, in terms of a day-to-day, um, you know, working at a football club, those were difficult times. And I think, you know, the fans were raging, weren't they? And rightly so. Yeah. And so. Social media was just taking off and you've got that responsibility for the Twitter and Facebook accounts. And it's like you just dread putting something down because you're literally, you're going to get swamped. Um, but I think it makes, the cliche, I think it made everyone stronger. Um, I mean, Jez Moxie and, and sort of Richard Skirrow and the people at the, at the club at the time who... Uh, you know, Jez in particular, he, gets, he sometimes gets a bad press, but they were they were integral at that time for us. You know, they were strong. They're kind of, even when mistakes, we felt mistakes were being made, you know, you knew you had people you could lean on. Um, and just that's, I suppose, as you say, just see it through. And I think then the appointment of Kenny Jacket, which I think was down to Jez and, and Kevin Thelwell at the time. Um, I mean, that was, that was just the perfect appointment from someone that, you know, broad shoulders, that first season in League One, it was a huge season because it might not have gone well. You know, it wasn't, we had a, it built a really good squad, but if you don't come back straight away, the pressure from the fans understanding was going to rise. But Kenny was just perfect, uh, really calm, knew what he was doing. Um, you know, the bomb squad came in under him, which, yeah. you know, even at the time I look back and there were players there, where I, you know, Carl Henry and Stephen Ward in particular, who'd given years of service. So I still felt we're going to be part of it. Um, yeah. You know, they took them out completely. And you look back now and I think, uh, you know, you speak to Carl, who would say probably, fair enough, if I wasn't going to be part of it, I don't think he felt he was treated very well in terms of how yeah, he moved out. Yeah, I've read that, and I, yeah. Absolutely. And I, I understand that, but you look at the whole, but you look at the decision, if you take that out of it, and the way you rebuilt that squad, um, you know, it's amazing. It was logical, wasn't it, Bez, really? I mean, when you look at it from, like I said, from, from, a, from an outside perspective, it was a logical decision to sort of, how it was dealt with in terms of the bomb squad itself, that, that's not as far as for me or you to sort of cast judgment on that. That's yeah. why Kenny Jackett paid the money that he's a professional football manager. But the, the logic behind sort of starting afresh, cutting the bad eggs, if you like, in inverted commas for the mm. purpose of the listener, you know, away, away from, from the squad to, to start afresh. I could see the logic there because at the time, I mean, obviously it's been really interesting coming out since because... Obviously, the, the Roger Johnson has come out. And I've, I've, I've watched a couple of interviews, listened to a couple of interviews. Him, obviously, I have listened to another podcast, the Old Gold Club, and some of those have, have been really insightful. Um, mm. Obviously, Jamie O'Hara went on a, on another pod with, with with one of my good friends, Jason Guy, um, and that was really interesting seeing that as well. So it was. It's been. I, I feel like there's almost like hearing the players' views as to what happened with it to actually how it panned. Like I can see why Kenny did it. And it, in essence, it worked mm. because you can say, well, actually, I did it and we got promoted with, with, with a fantastic points total and we were able to rebuild from that. But when you see from the players' perspective, you can see why they were disappointed as well. It's a really hard one to sort of balance and manage, isn't it? I think it is, definitely. And it's funny because, I mean, you know, Jamie and Roger were kind of almost um, held up as an example, weren't they, of the problem? Yeah. And speaking as a press officer, I've never had any problems with either of them. You know, they were, I, I don't know, again... We stayed away from dressing room stuff, so I'm sure there was stuff going on that we didn't know about. But it, it didn't feel like they were rocking the boat or anything. But as you say, I think it was just yeah. time, time for the clean slate. And I think I remember, um, I don't know if you went to the Preston game on the first day of the League One season. because Yeah, still, yeah, you know, there was a lot of uncertainty. But I remember the fans warming up and um, 
I was just sat in the press box, and all of a sudden there's this almighty roar. I think it was the Wolves fans, and I looked up, and I think it was Joe Gallon and Sam Ricketts had said, right, we're going to go and clap the fans at the, after the warm-up, which I've never seen before. But again, I think this proves, and I think it, it, it applies to Albion fans as well, that if you give people something, Wolves fans and Albion fans, they will get behind you. And I think that, for me, was almost that moment of, you know, we've had an awful couple of years, it's been a bit of a mess, but now is the time that we're going to forget all that, and this is a fresh start, and it was just... I don't know, it all stuck with me. That was just on my, I've never heard anything like it from a warm up. And I think it was that was the fan saying, right, let's go again. And, you know, and as you say, Wolf fans and Albion fans, they get, they go through a lot, don't they? As we both sets of clubs have over the last 10, 20 years and longer. But yeah. they do really get behind their team when they have to. And I think that League One seat, I mean, no one wanted to be in League One, but I think a lot of fans will tell you it was an incredible season, wasn't it? Going to different grounds, taking over grounds, going to staying yeah, in for years. And yeah, as, as, a, as, a, as a fan, I had some great away days that season, going to grounds I never have thought of. I remember going to Stevenage and Crawley mm-hmm. and places like that. Places like, the, you know, without sort of, you know, being above my station, you know, as a Wolves fan, you probably don't expect that you're going to go to and watch your club play there in a league situation. But it was it was brilliant and it was that rebuilding process. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of Kenny and Mick, I want to just pick your brains quickly because there's a couple of things I want to go through with you. Were they completely different characters to work for and alongside? Are, are they... Good question. Di- uh, they, oh, obviously, you know, keep it completely professional. I understand, but were, were they were they completely different to work with, or yeah. were they quite open? You know what I mean. I'm, I'm just interested to see because they're they're both fantastic for Wolves in their own right. Um, yeah. I'm just interested to see what what your experience of them was. Well, very I know your experience of Mick. Sorry. Yeah, very good. Now, very different personalities. Enjoyed both of them in in different ways. I think. Um, I think Kenny would probably I'd probably say Kenny was more measured overall. And again, you kind of, Kenny was incredible. Like after a match, obviously managers have to do four or five in- different interviews, but literally they get asked the same questions. And I've never seen, I'd go and fetch Kenny after games as you had to do as a press officer and you'd see him, he'd just, he'd made some notes and then literally go and bang out the almost the same interview. And that was just, you know, it was, it was the control of, I know what I want to say. I'm not going to deviate away from that. And that was him to a T in everything that he did. He was meticulous and um, I'd almost... You, know, you don't say easy to work for because it was challenging times, but he was, you know, and, and I think he was just calm and measured throughout. Mick was more, um, you know, he'd be abrasive every now and again, as we've said earlier with the sparring. We'd, we'd get a bit spiky with the press, um, you, you know. He's just a of, bit. Yeah, just a bit. Lose his temper a little bit. We had the Man United team changes. I don't know if you remember that yeah. one. Yeah. Kind of, I was I was actually just, honestly, yeah. Paul, you've literally shut the words out of my mouth. I was going to say, for me, not the, one of the standout memories of Wolves is that, yeah. That Man United team, uh, that Man United team, and I remember being in work the next day, and and I remember some of our customers ringing me, going, and <laughs> then I, I remember because obviously in the commercial office we always used to have Talk Sport was was the main station we'd listen to at the time. Um, disclaimer: there are other radio stations you can listen to. Um, <laughs> yeah. and, but if they're looking for young, but I remember yeah. at the time it was um, Alan Brazil and Andy Townsend. No, was it Alan Brazil and Andy Townsend doing the the morning show? Um, or was it Agent Durham at the time? I can't remember. It was definitely Andy Townsend. And all morning on TalkSport, it just... Dom- I've never known Wolves have that much attention. Yeah. It's all over Sky explain, Sport. Explain it's this. Huge. What is this for, for A, me, and B, maybe our younger listeners who, who won't remember this? What, what happened there? Um, do you want to take the floor, Bess, and explain? Oh, Go on, then. Well, basically, I mean, it was, new, it was news to us when it happened. So we'd had... Yeah. Um, we won... 
a game at Spurs on the Saturday. We won one nil at Spurs, which was an incredible yep. result. Do- Kevin Doyle, Do- Doyle, early yeah, on, Doyle, yeah. yeah, and we literally had to run and um, crumbs. Just yeah, apparently the, the effort and everything. They got the um, they'd already started doing the ratings by then of how far everybody had run, and I think the, the ten outfield players that day had run so much and put themselves through so much that we then had Man United on the Tuesday away. Followed yep. by Burnley, who are our big relegation rivals at home, either the following Saturday or Sunday. Um, Sunday so on Sky, Sunday yeah. Sunday on Sky. So what Mick did, almost went to Man United on the Tuesday and made 10 changes to the team. I think he, I can't remember. Oh, uh, okay. Except one outfield player, one, was it? Yeah. No, I can't remember, but it, it was 10. Uh, it, yeah. was, it, was, it was, yeah. And the funny thing is, actually, because I never knew this. And it caused. Few, oh, it caused uproar. I remember it now. Yeah, I do yeah. remember yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. And he got... And he got fine. But interestingly, Mikey Burrows, who's obviously commentator at Wolves TV, I remember him saying a few years ago, he, he'd done an interview that day. I think it's for Beacon Radio then, another radio station. And almost, I think he'd said, nobody noticed at the time. Yeah. We didn't. The last question after Tottenham was, how do you get everyone up again for Tuesday night? And Mick's answer was, oh, maybe I'll just change them all. And, no, you know, change the whole team. But nobody really, because it's, oh, we won't do that. And then literally, we get to Old Trafford <laughs> Tuesday night. And we, we'd had a little whisper that it was coming and the team sheets come. And you think of all the media and how many at Old Trafford and you're as the probably three press officers that we were then, all of a sudden we get surrounded, what's going on here? And it's like, we have to, well, I don't know, you know, and it was, and we lost. And I think, I don't know, Mick would say that it wasn't a team, he wasn't throwing the game, as I say. I think he was just expecting, a you know, Man United away, they were flying at that time, weren't they? I don't know if in the Champions I think probably. a lot of it bears, if I remember rightly, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, because obviously yeah. Man United at the time were, were title challengers and things like that. Obviously, a lot of the uproar came from a lot of the teams around Man United in terms of the yes. fact that, yeah. you know, the fact that we'd okay. almost given, we'd, we'd yeah. given United. And obviously, when the big boys start talking, that's a lot of pressure on the FA. I know Mick got fined. Yeah. I know Mick has since come out. Obviously, we, we went and beat, and I remember that, but I still remember that yeah. burning game. I remember it was freezing. And I remember Kevin Dawes scored and took his top off. And I'm thinking, yeah. he's, a nut, he's a nutter because it was so cold. <laughs> Um, but it was, but it was justified in the way because that, that we then beat mm. Burnley and we sort of kicked on and, and survived that season in the end quite comfortably. Um, obviously, a lot of that was to do with the fact that Porter for the points deduction and, and Hall weren't particularly great. But um, but no, it, 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 Mick was just like I said. I think Mick definitely Kenny Jacket for me always comes across and, and came across as calm, measured, composed, mm. and always in control. Whereas Mick had that about him, but Mick sort of almost like wore his heart on his sleeve, didn't he? And and it's- no, he did. And I think that, I mean, that was just a huge, I mean, who, I don't know. Um, I can't imagine. Because I think Mick was more, most worried about the fans. He'd paid their money. And I think, you know, obviously Old Trafford was quite an expensive ticket in those days. It probably still is now. He'd paid their money and gone up and probably seen what you'd say because of the changes was a reserve team. Um, they're all, you know, senior players and they would probably object to being called reserves, but I think they hadn't featured much. And it was, and so that was Mick's worry, I think, was the fans. But he would say he was doing what was best for the club. Um, and staying up and all that sort of stuff. But it did then put a huge amount on that Burnley game. Um, and as much as Mick could handle that pressure, you'd dread to think what had happened had we not won. But I don't know, you know, I could tell that day afterwards, he was quite, he was still adrenaline was pumping when he was doing his post-match. I think if you don't know if you remember, Jack, he got all the players after the game in a huddle on the pitch. Yeah. Which I imagine, you know, you can probably guess the sort of stuff he was saying then. But but to get six points out of those three games was obviously it was, a great It was huge, yeah. Um, and I think, as you said, but what I'd say about Mick and Kenny, very different characters, have great success, but also both approachable. You know, they could never, 
never scared about going up and asking them anything or you know if there's a dodgy story knocking about going and telling them you know they were really uh really good to work with really helpful and, and never like i say you're never worried about knocking their door to bring some of them to their attention they'd rather know things and deal with them and um you know then shy away from talking to them yeah because because of course you yeah you would have obviously you would have been obviously you'd have been there as well with the sort of the the, the appointment of, of stella solback and as well yeah um, which is obviously at the time was very left left wing, if you like, left field and a bit out there. Um, obviously came to the great pedigree, Champions League, et cetera, et cetera. What, what was he like? Was, was, he was, yeah, he's actually great to work with, bizarrely. Well, I say bizarrely, but I mean, um, I think that's the thing is that when you're sort of press officer and head of media, you almost try and adapt to work with every different manager. And so I'd probably say, fortunately, I think, um, hopefully got on reasonably well with all the managers who have all very different coaches and style was this, you know he's really approachable again um i just it's hard not to get on with you beza i'm gonna say, no, right. don't say that <laughs> no i'm still in touch with style a little bit every now and again oh and wow just messages and um you know when carla Keemy got ill uh he yeah. was one of the first to message pass on his regards and then i think they played um man united didn't they she had a couple of messages then but i think I don't know. It was almost like we tried to change too much, didn't we, too quickly, I think. The players that came in, apart from Sacco, didn't make, I don't know, a huge amount of difference. Yeah, it was almost like it was too advanced for us at the time, yeah. wasn't it? It was almost like he was too far advanced yeah. for us, if that, if that makes sense. Do you remember the player? I remember right. there was, there was, I mean, he was unfortunate. I feel like Razak Bukhari coming, Tongo, Dumbia, mm. um, the, the, the Swedish lad striker who came with a real big reputation. Was it Sigurdsson? Yeah, um, yeah, and, yeah. and it, it just didn't quite work out, did it? it did, um, and I think we spot with. I mean, the players. I think you know they'd say they got on well with him as a person. He was a good, a good guy. But I don't think they felt that tactically it was going to work. He wanted, you know, he wanted. I don't know if it's dissimilar to me. No, he wanted just to stand off a little bit, you know, and to, to try and knock the ball about when he had it and keep possession. And I think again, Wolves fans they quite enjoy that. You know, blood and thunder. Let's get it, teams. Let's play with wingers. Let's get it forward. And it was, I don't know, educationally, it was almost a difficult thing to do, especially when you don't win. I mean, we did start the season reasonably well, but as soon as the dip set, um, it was difficult to turn around. And then obviously, I think by the January, you know, January he was gone. So yeah, probably too much too soon. Would could they have stuck with him and just given him more time? Maybe. Um, yeah. You know, it's interesting. Change the squad a bit more, but. Things happen for a reason, don't they? And ultimately, yeah. like I said, it was one of those experiences. Talking to managers, obviously, I feel like we've, we've sort of obviously took on a lot here, but I want to bring Kieran in, if that's all right, and just say, while we're talking about managers, obviously, we had a real good conversation over the last few weeks, obviously, the, the West Brom situation with, yeah. with Big Sam being there, the potential impending relegation, the fact that, you know, I next that's season... very generous, JB. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> until, it's mathematical, until, it, uh, yeah, it, it, yeah. until it's mathematical, I, I don't want to be caught with my pants down sort of thing. But um, obviously next season is a big season for West Brom. Potential, nobody really knows if Big Sam's going to stay. I think most people would probably hazard a guess that he, that he wouldn't be there. In your sort of experience, professional capacity, you know, obviously I'm ca- catching on the hop a little bit here, you know, who do you think might be a good fit for Albion? What route do you think they should go for? Um, is there anyone that sort of stands out for you that I think could be, you know, a, a good fit for them? Because... You know, ultimately, we have had this conversation and my brother filled in for me on the pod last week and threw some names at, at yeah. Kieran and, and, and Matt, which was really interesting hearing who they said yay and nay to. Um, but you look at, say, what Mick McCarthy's done for Cardiff. Yeah. Um, and 
uh, with respect, if you suggest Mick McCarthy or Kenny Jacket, no, uh, the podcast no, no. there for. I just wondered, like, where you think Albion should go with it. I think. Um, I mean, I don't know. Again, I, I need. I listened to a bit last week. So I didn't hear that bit, to be honest. But because I, so I don't know what we said. But I mean, for me, I don't know if it's possible. But I think they looked at him before would be Chris Wilder. Yeah. Um, I don't know what Elvin fans feel about that, but I just think it's a hard yes from me. I yeah. said last week as well. Yeah. It's a big. It's it's still a huge job, and I say that because Albion are a big club, and there's pressure. You know, in, in the Championship for Albion, there's pressure on them to get up. Now, whether every whether, time. Every time, the same as Wolves would be, I guess. Yeah, so it's almost like yeah. you can look at, and know, people like Mike Appleton have mentioned, who I know is, you know, fondly remembered at Albion, and I think Derek McInnes, but even though they've got a lot of experience, I don't know, it just feels that Chris Wilder's done it. Um, he looks that sort of character that could handle the whole expectation and the pressure of that. Yeah. Uh, he'll be, you know, hungry and determined to go into his next job and, and succeed. Um, I don't know, it just feels. Again, I'm just speaking as an outsider with no huge knowledge of the, the inside or what Elvin fans want or what, if they want a particular style of play. But it just feels like he, if he's available, it just feels to me like that's a really good fit. But, yeah, you know, I'd, agree. I'd agree. I'd agree with that, yeah. Paul. I mean, I've, I've had another week to mull this over. And anyone who, who didn't listen last week, I was sort of very much in the Sam Allardyce won't be there camp. Hmm. And I, I'm not, you know, I, I've got no ill feeling towards Sam Allardyce and he's trying his best and we have seen, you know, an improvement of sorts. Um, but I would still prefer him not to be our manager in the start of next season, the championship. Um, however, we we do find ourselves, this wasn't really something I considered last week, find ourselves in a position where our owner has the club in the shop window. Um, and we, we talk about this, you know, this trade-off with, you know, your identity and your long-term vision and short-term success. The owner's not going to be interested in long-term vision or identity. He's going to be interested in success. So names like Derek McInnes, like Michael Appleton, Alex Neal, who lost his job at Preston, I don't think they're actually going to get any any kind of a look. And I think it is going to be a straight shootout between the man who currently holds the post and Chris Wilder. Yeah, I think... Um... You know, I've talked about Chris Wilder, but I don't, again, as you've alluded to, I don't think Sal Allardyce, Sam Allardyce rather would be a disaster. I think from what Albion fans that I know have said, the football's improved a little bit. Um, whether there's a deal to be done on, on what he'd be looking for as, as the manager, I don't know. But I think, you know, talking about Mick McCarthy, you've seen Neil Warnock up there in the Championship. These sort of managers who are, I don't know, what they call traditional or even old-fashioned, they know what it's about, Um you know, they know how to manage teams, they know how to manage difficult situations, pressure, big clubs, all that sort of thing. As long as as long as you've got coaches with them, and I think Sammy Lee's obviously regarded very highly, coaches who are up to date with the tactics and all that sort of thing. It's about making decisions. And I think, um, you know, I'm not an Albion fan, obviously, but I think either <laughs> Allardyce or Wilder for me, going into a championship season with a decent squad, depending on, again, I'm sure there'll be ins and outs like yeah. we spoke about at Wolves, but I think either of those two, you're going into... If it's a championship season, as it looks like, you've, you've got to be reasonably confident. I think. Um, I mean, you'd you'd hope so, but yeah, you'd hope so. But I think the the appointment it do, will sort of have a massive effect. I think it's a it's something we'll probably visit almost every week until we know for certain whether or not Sam Allardyce will be our manager. And something I touched on last week: the fact he's not openly addressed it, the fact he's not mm. said, mm. "Guys, I'm on, you know I've got eighteen months left in this contract. 
on the matter next season, no matter what league we're in, it kind of gives off the impression he's undecided. I don't know. It's difficult. The appointment, it's, it's vital. Man. I, know, I know it's such, a, such an obvious thing to say, but the championship is such, as we all know, is such a difficult, difficult mm-hmm. league. And it's, it's getting better and better. You know, you've got a lot of good players that end up staying. You know, if Albion go down, if they do keep some of their key players, um, you know, the league is getting stronger and stronger. And you only have to look at like, um, obviously, I lived in Stoke for a couple of years, a few years ago. So I've got friends up there um, who, who speak to and I still play football up there regularly. And you know, look at Stoke, you know, they went all out. They brought in Michael O'Neill, the Northern Ireland manager, who's coming with a fantastic reputation, sort of turn Northern Ireland's football fortunes around. They've spent big bucks, as Stoke predominantly do. They've got a good side, Stoke have. And they're sort of floundering a little bit. Um, you know, and it's difficult, you know, it's really difficult. And and and, and the 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 managerial appointment is key. And as, as Bezos sort of rightly alludes to, and I'm probably guilty of it as well at times, you know, there is that sort of... Um, opinion that gets sort of swum around a little bit that you talk about, you know, your, your Mick McCarthy's, your Neil Warnock's, your, your Sam Allardyce's, you know, people often refer to them, you know, football dinosaurs and that sort of thing. But they don't half get the job done, you know. Um, and that's not me insinuating that, that, that that's the route to go at all. But I'm saying you can see the logic behind teams. You look at what, what, what Warnock's doing at Middlesbrough, you know, obviously Middlesbrough, they're probably not going to get in the playoffs. They're, 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 they're too far gone, but they, you know, they know what you know what you get with them, kind of thing, and it's difficult when in times of need to turn that down. If that makes sense, yeah, for sure, it really will be such an interesting um, decision, really, at, at board level. Um, Paul, we we got a question here on on Twitter from Ben Smallman. Uh, it starts with "Hello, hello, Ben." Um, he says, "How did Paul's support for the club change when he worked for it?" Uh, did he lose that visceral, spontaneous sense of joy when a goal went in as he had to remain car- uh, sorry, corporate and calm? Was the sense of joy diluted or, in fact, enriched? And has it changed since having left? That's a great question, Ben. Yes, I know, Ben, but yeah, that is a really good question. And the, uh, yeah, used to, Ben was a journalist as well, so he, he, knows okay. how to ask a good, he knows how to ask a good question. But I think, um, no, I think he did. It's strange. I mean... You know, like probably all of us did. I was a fan, sort of growing up and going to games, home and away, days on the beer with mates, and it was just incredible. Um, even actually before that, when I was a bit younger, it was um, the Steve Ball days and winning the fourth and third division, which as a teenager again was just just phenomenal and just such a great work, great way to spend a weekend, if you like. But yeah, it does, and I think you lose a little bit of the fan element, if that makes sense, because you're not involved in it, and you have got to be a bit more. I don't know, professional about it, I suppose. In a press box, you're not really supposed to show any any emotion. Um, you know, we used to smack each other on the legs underneath a table if we scored at an away ground because you're, <laughs> you're not allowed to jump up and down, so you'd end up with a few dead legs in there. But um, So, yeah, you do. And I think uh, I think the joy of it almost is what probably said earlier on. You're kind of really, you're really happy for the people that are involved. You know, we were press officers, Jack was in commercial. We didn't really contribute to the on-field success. You know, we were behind the scenes in other areas of the club but when you when you do work with people and you see them sort of day in day out when you're you're really happy when they get success those promotion seasons to see the players and the managers and the coaches and every backroom staff member that's worked so hard through the season and they get their rewards you can kind of enjoy that um so it's a different sort of enjoyment you miss you know you go to an away game you look over and see the fans the world fans packing out in a way and you think comes you know i would like to be in there but you get yeah. a different, ex- different experience of being on the inside. So I think both of them, both of them I enjoyed. Very different. Um, 
and, it, and it's been even different since I've left because I now go to games. Uh, Jack mentioned going with a little girl. I take my two lads who are massively into it, as you'd expect with how Wolves are doing. So it's a different, you know, I'm not on the beers all day. I'm obviously looking after them, but it's nice to nice to sort of see them enjoying it. Yeah. So I'm enjoying it through them. I've probably not got the feeling back that I had before when it was just complete raucous day out. But um, I think, again, if I went with my mates to an away game, I'd probably drop straight back into that as well. So I've been... You know, yeah. I feel really fortunate to have had the inside track, to have had the um, probably not as much success as a fan. You know, probably had probably probably had more successes in my lifetime while I've been working there rather than as a fan. But I've certainly, yeah, yeah I've certainly enjoyed all the different aspects. But I think yeah, it does change your perception of, of the club a little bit. When you're on the it really side. does, doesn't it? Bez? it's so interesting. I think that's a really good question, actually. I mean, obviously, yeah. I went there like yourself as a massive fan, and I remember some sort of match days particularly. Obviously, we used to sort of float around all the commercial yeah. areas. And I always remember, like, if we were sort of in view of the pitch, if you like, obviously, if we scored, yeah. I would celebrate. But obviously, it would be muted because we were in the wolf suit and the club tie and you were representing uh, that thing, uh, representing the club, sorry. Um, there's only been, probably been a couple of times when I've probably completely lost it, if you like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, that, that I couldn't remember. Um and, and the reason why as well, we, I don't think you remember this, Bez, I'll, I'll touch on it in a minute, but the, 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 one, the one I remember going to Forest away in the promotion season and oh, me, and, yeah. me, me and Steve Thomas, we were actually being hosted by our sort of commercial counterparts oh, wow. at Forest and yeah. we, were in a, we were in a box um, at the, at the, at the um, I can't remember, is it the Forest ground or is it City ground? City, City ground, ground, isn't it, yeah. I think? Yeah. City yeah. ground, yeah. yeah. And obviously when Michael Carty scored, I remember we kept professional throughout the whole day sort of thing, but we just lost it in that box. And I think the I think Forest, I think the Forest staff understood to be fair. And then obviously Survival Sunday. Mm-hmm. I remember standing above the tunnel. Um and, and I remember Steve Ball was there because that's where he was stands on top of the tunnel, doesn't he? And there was me, yeah. Steve Ball, Jason Leggy, a couple of the others. And we were sort of flicking our heads into the executive boxes to check the scores coming through. And then when Blue scored and it was back and forth. And I remember just when when we realised we'd stayed up, just that overwhelming, I think I dropped to the floor. I remember that overwhelming sort of, I, I haven't felt anything like that really. And that was the, the pure fan in me. But yeah. I think the reason why I was always conscious, just for professional capacity as well, is because, do you remember me getting stitched up by, uh, I think it was you a lot in, in, oh, in, no. in press. Do you remember oh, yeah. when you got match when you got match of the day on me, oh, and because yeah. I was trying to miss Black Country. That was it, yeah. Do you yeah. remember? And yeah. I got apps and, and that's still, it's, Black it, Country. It's still, yeah. it's still, it's still, it's, it's still on YouTube. That is. Um, oh, did you know this story, Kieran? It was too good, too uh, bad, wasn't it? The end of match so, of the day. So, so, yeah, yeah. So on match of the day two, they used to do a feature called "Too Good, Too Bad," where Adrian, <laughs> yeah. it was, it was Adrian Charles usually, but it was captain to Gary Linick. It happened to be Gary Lineker this Sunday and we had to review stuff that went good and stuff that went bad. And I assume I was on the bad part, but basically I was, we had Miss Black Country there and she was going on the pitch to present some flowers or an award or something. So I got tasked with basically standing with her by the tunnel, chatting to her, keeping her entertained for 10, 15 minutes before she got tough moved to the pitch. Tough job that was, that day. I know, yeah. real tough gig. <laughs> um, and, but unbeknown to me, I'm sure it was the prep, I'm sure it was Foz and, and maybe Alex Ward. I'm sure it was the, it was definitely it was probably you, wasn't it? Was it I you? Don't know, yeah. Probably I a team effort, mate. Team it's a team effort, yeah. but basically they got the match of the day cameras to basically film me, and they made it look like I've been chatting to her for ages and ages and ages and ages and ages. Um, I'll have to try and find the clip and, and share it, but uh, that 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 sort of that was my sort of um, what's the word I'm after? Baptism of fire, if you like, and I sort of got scared. And then I remember waking up the next morning because I went to bed early that day because it was it was a Sunday game. Was it the Spurs it was. game? Yeah. I can't remember. It was a Sunday yeah. game. 
And I remember going to bed and wake up the next morning to my phone just absolutely full of it from everyone because obviously it went out to the nation. Um, okay. But a great time. Really, 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 really God. good times. Really good times. Yeah. I think well, the other thing, just quickly, yeah, it's work yeah. as well, isn't it? That's the other thing. You kind of, it's a really privileged job, as I'm sure you felt, but it was also, and it was hard work from time to time, as I say. Really hard work. Only a few people doing doing big jobs in those days. And um, I don't know, it was, uh, you know, and there were tough times. So it was, it was always a privilege, as I say, to go When I think, when I think, so it when I think back, best, it was, it was long hours as well, obviously, you know, yeah, it, yeah. it was a privilege, it was fantastic. I, I look back on my memories of working at Wolves with, with amazing memories and great fondness. But when I think back, we, I mean, we did some, you know, when, you know, you think about the sportsman dinners, you know, the yeah. match days, obviously, you know, I mean, the, the end of season awards dinner, I mean, that was like, that was months worth of work going into one night. It was it was intense all the time, but like you say, it was work. We had to be professional. Um, obviously, my job is different to yours in terms, of, you know, we had clients and targets and things like that. But it was the nature of the beast. But it was fantastic and like an absolute privilege. And it's brilliant because I've I've come out of it with with, with good friends and being able to sort of you know do things like this with you, which, which is a, which is a pleasure. And everyone needed results as well, didn't they? We talk about you want results as a fan, but you guys needed results to sell sponsor packages. And Absolutely. Whatever. We Absolutely. needed results to get a, a slightly easier ride from the media, maybe, and to get more good stories out there. So, yeah, it was. And again, that's a little bit different to wanting results as a fan. So. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. It was good times. It was really, really good Very times. Good. No, they weren't. Re- re- really, really good times. Yeah, fantastic. It's so good to get that insight. And even as an Albion fan, it's fantastic just sit and listen to that i am aware we are rattling on here boys we are really really living up to our name <laughs> certainly rambling um but sort of just before we do sort of wind the podcast down and stuff uh, one question that jb and i had in our notes which, which i thought you know might be quite interesting to ask people might want to hear it um who was maybe or what was maybe the best experience you had with a player at wolves um paul or what was a moment that really stood out, an off-the-field moment, um, an interaction maybe with a player? Um, wow, yeah, tough, tough question. I mean, uh, I think there was a lot of, um, I suppose you'd call them community visits and things like that, which players did, and I think that was, you know, again, you talk about the privilege of working at a football club and it almost became like work and a routine, but those were the times when you saw you know, it took you back to your own childhood, if you like, and a kind of just a memory of, um, you know, what football, what it was like to meet a footballer. And we used to do a few yeah. things called Wolves Wishes, where people been going through a hard time would write in and say, can we organise something for, um, you know, for some, for one of their family members or, or someone who was really going through a tough time. So I think those kind of times were what kind of um, still remember now. And I remember this one lad called Regan, who was probably 14, 15 at the time, or at coffee school. And he, you know, his little sister at the time was, was struggling with cancer and he'd done loads of incredible stuff. He was, um, I think he was doing walks. He was raising so much money for the hospital where she was at. And we went in and surprised him, you know, with cameras and stuff. It's all done with his, the teacher's parents' permission and everything. Um, and it was Nua Dicko that went and like, we, Nua Dicko started chatting to him. And he just burst into tears and it was, you know, happy tears. But it was just, I know, but it was just one of those moments. And I think it's when you remember... Yeah, it's the joy of football, isn't it? I'm getting a bit cliched now and a bit deep, but the, what football means to so many people, um, you know, people listening to this, all of us watching games, it's kind of, you sometimes get the way the game's changed and the money involved in it and all that sort of thing. You can get a little bit sort of blase, can't you? But still, at the end of the day, 
all of us as kids grew up watching it. And I think those sort of moments, and again, Jack, remember, we're fortunate at Wolves to have a lot of players that were really community-minded. Yeah. Um, I mentioned Carl Henry earlier, think about the likes of Matt Murray, Carl Akimi, Dave Edwards, you know, you could go through them all night that really did uh, understand their position in the community and want to make a difference. So those were the real memories away from the pitch, which again, I think, you know, I took away with me, definitely. That's fantastic, Paul. Really, really brilliant to hear. And it's probably a lovely note to finish on. Um, we could sit and do this all night. It has been uh, fantastic. Paul, we would love to have you on again. Thank you for your time. Uh, thank you for your insight. And hopefully um, our pads will cross again and we can have you on in the future. Have you enjoyed yourself, Paul? I have done. I really appreciate you uh, you asking us. I hope I haven't, I hope I haven't rambled, but uh, yeah. No, that's nice not at all. Nice to talk about the Albion once or twice as well. So. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I've got to hands, say. Hands across the black country. Yeah, exactly. I, I was actually really impressed with um, Harry. That's official HRH when he was on a few weeks ago. He was very impartial. I thought Matt Wilson was very impartial last week. Um, and yourself, you've been very impartial. I think we're doing a good job at spreading this this um, impartial vibe, JB. What I know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're keeping it on the down low, really, aren't we? We're sort of being very sort of nice to each other. But no, it's been great having the guests on the last few weeks. It's sort of really adding a, a new dimension to the pod. Beza, thanks ever so much for coming on, mate. It, it's been brilliant catching up with you. And like Kieran said, it'd be great to get you on again at some point because I feel like there's so much more we could talk about and maybe yeah, I feel miss, like we've but, like but I know, but uh, but like I'm conscious with, with, with time sticking, it's, it's probably a long one. This is, but yeah, just many thanks for coming on, mate. We really do appreciate it. No, thanks, mate. It's good to catch up again and uh, yeah. yeah, roll back the years, as they say. That's it, mate. That's it. That's it, buddy. Top man, absolutely. So. Thank you very, very much for listening to everybody who has got to this point, especially because it has been a long old slog this evening or whenever you're going to be listening to it, presumably not this evening because I doubt it will get out on Monday night. However, um, if you have made it this far in the pod, please follow us on Twitter at BCR pod and please leave a rating wherever you get your podcast. If that's Apple podcasts, you can have a five star rating and you can leave a review if you listen on Podbean or Google um podcast i'm not too sure about spotify anyway leave us a rating guys it really really does help us and once again thank you very very much for listening to this week's episode of the black country ramble <laughs>